Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on, people? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. My name is Aaron, and I am the host of the show. So today's episode is one of hope and one which really does capture your imagination on what is possible. This individual has been at rock bottom, and I mean rock bottom, where he's had the support, he's had the community, and he's had the people around him to really try and lift him up, but it just wasn't enough until something changed. And I'm not going to tell you what that thing is, but I'm going to let him explain it because I think this is such an important story about how we so often try and do things to please other people. We try and fit into places where we just know we don't belong. And thankfully for not only himself, did he realise this, but also for the community he is now having such a massive positive impact on. So I hope you're all having a fantastic day and I hope this interview really does give you some insight in terms of what's possible and more importantly, just give you a sense of hope that people can change. Firstly, I'm going to welcome Ashley to the show. So how are you doing today, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing good, thank you. Yeah, really good, thank you. It's a privilege to be here, so thank you. Well, I'm very grateful that you've uh, taken time out of your day to come on. So obviously, you've heard the introduction as listeners, but I think it's more important we hear a little bit more about Ashley himself and... um, I've heard snapshots and highlights about how your world has transformed basically since I last seen you in the gym. So it's going to be interesting for me as well as you guys as the listeners. So Ashley, if you wouldn't mind, if you could just give us a run through a little bit about your life from the moment you can remember basically up until where you are right now, mate. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's uh, looking back on your life and, and I'm 30 years old now. So as you can imagine, I've lived quite a bit for 30 years mm-hmm. to try and give a bit of a snapshot of my life. It's Wondering where to start. So I suppose looking back to where we met, we first met at the boxing club. Um, leading up to that, I'd, I'd been living with my family in Coventry. Um, I grew up in Coventry. I had my mum, my nan, um, a sister as well. Never really had a dad growing up. Um, then I was about 10 years old. My mum met my now stepdad. Um, being a 10-year-old lad, being the lad of the family, the man of the house, and then suddenly having this new man in the house, it kind of, I think from there, things began to disrupt in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, my world was kind of turned upside down a little bit. Um, to add to that, I suppose we moved then from Coventry to Starbridge when I was about 11 years old. Um, so I'm moving to a new area. Um, the accents were funny. I've not got that <laughs> accent, which is funny, uh, which is ironic, really. But um, so I'm in a new area, trying to make new friends, angry and upset with my home situation. And so as you can imagine, I began to meet with and, and get to know other kids that were like myself, really, just angry, upset at the world. Mm. Um, from there, as you can imagine, playing up in school, um, started to, to, to skive lessons and to get suspended and get into fights here and there. Uh, before long, smoking, um, smoking cannabis, uh, regularly getting drunk on the weekends. Occasionally there's ecstasy involved or cocaine. Oh, wow. um, and life, for me, quite early on in the years, began to spiral, really. I don't know what it was. I was just one of those kids that, you know, I weren't really scared of the police, weren't mm. really scared of, of school and my family at home, angry and upset and trying to find a way to express emotions that I didn't quite understand. Um, and so through crime and getting into trouble, I ended up being involved with the young offenders, um, 
team and stuff like that. And they put me in touch with something called Connections, which was back in the day. Connections was something that worked with young kids to try and provide um, positive activities for them. And so they sent me to the Lions Boxing Club. And so that's how I found myself at the Boxing Club when I was probably about 15, 16 years old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's probably when I first met you, wasn't it? Back then, all, those, all, that, back, all that back, back then, I suppose. It was, yeah. Um, my brief memory of yourself was, so I always had this thing in my head where I wasn't the most talented, but I would always try and outwork everyone in the gym. And there's probably, I'd say, a handful of people that I remember. Obviously, you had Connor, who was like, you know, one of the best boxers in the gym. There was a guy, good friend of mine called Andy, who used to work really, really hard on his fitness. And I, and I remember yourself. And that's pretty much my only memory of you as somebody who, when he came in, he pretty much gave his all. So in terms of like work ethic and stuff, I um, fully understand that. I just want to quickly touch on something, though that you mentioned um, that you would, you were growing up and you were angry and upset with the world and stuff. Was that solely because you had no father growing up? Or- yeah, hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And um, look, looking back, I, I try now to try and work out and organise and think what it was, but at the time it's hard. When you're in the middle of something and your life's a mess and it's turmoil, sometimes it's hard to put your finger on what it was. Mm. But I suppose looking back, it was that. It was... I was a little kid in Coventry, you know, I was 10 years old, had my first girlfriend and things were going well. I played for the football team in my primary school and then my mum meets my stepdad, this man's in my house and we move, to, you know, an hour away from my home, having mm. to make new friends and I didn't want that and I suppose it was just rebelling against that really. I mean, looking back now, I recognise my mum, you know, she, she had me at a very young age and she gave up her youth to be my mum and she had a shot at being happy, you know, and I wasn't happy about it. She's being selfish, I suppose. Mm. But it's being a kid and not understanding the world around you, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you, I think you touched on the point there. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. We sometimes, even myself, I mean, I, I was never in, involved with the police or anything, but the stuff I did as, as a kid or at school, and you cringe when you think back and think, bloody hell, was I that guy? But I suppose we all learn lessons from it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get from this podcast and from this interview uh, with yourself so you've touched on briefly obviously you got into boxing then so how did that kind of transform your life because I know that had a massive impact yeah massively yeah so this is the this is the first time I went to boxing and so there's another second occasion which is a bit further down the road but after this occasion I was there for a little while and it provided that stability um it provided routine it provided discipline that sort of thing um and I remember the the Royal this is when back when I was a kid the Royal Marines came in and they did like a a little demonstration in the boxing club. And um, that was me, sold. I thought, that's it, I'm going to join the Royal Marines, I'm going to become a soldier. Um, I went to the, the careers office and I told them, look, I want to be a soldier, I want to come and serve. And they asked me about my criminal record and they basically said, look, behave yourself for a couple of years and we'll accept that. Um, so I tried my best to behave myself. Always been a jack the lad, so it was more a case of not getting caught. Uh, <laughs> behave myself for a couple of years, continue to box, continue to get fit, get healthy. Um, went down to Limstone in Devon. Um, I've done a, a four-day selection course with the Royal Marines, mm-hmm. um, which I passed that, and I was accepted into the Royal Marines. And then I got into a fight in a pub, and I got done for ABH. Wow. Uh, added to that witness intimidation. And as you can imagine, that was like the Royal Marines was my way out, my way out of the brokenness, my way out of the mess. It was my way of trying to fix myself. And I'm going to be honest, like after that, the door closed, and my life just spiraled from there. And things got real bad from then on. Um, I went back to the only thing that I really knew other than that, and that was selling drugs. So from a kid, from a young age, I worked out, you know, the best way to fund any drug habit that I'd have would be to sell drugs myself. Mm-hmm. Um, along with all the status that comes with that, all of the reputation, the money, and the people thinking you're the big I am. And I'll be honest, I was a little kid. I, I, was, I was an idiot, a muppet, and I got caught up in a world that was massive, way bigger than myself. Mm. Um, 
so that was like, like 19, I think that was. I started spiraling, really spiraling in that control. Um, so over the next four years, 19 to the age of sort of 23, uh, I'm involved, regularly involved in drug dealing and gang life, that sort of thing. Um, I got noticed by some proper thugs, like some proper like organised crime. Mm-hmm. And I started selling for these guys. Um, these guys were like, like, I mean, we were selling to like street level lads and then we were selling mm-hmm. to those that were selling to them on the streets. But occasionally buying from the likes of like the Albanian mafia and selling to Hells Angels wow. and stuff like that. So, it like it sounds crazy me saying it out loud. Sometimes I mean, I, I, sometimes I get to share this. It's nuts, isn't it? Sometimes I share this story. Like it sounds like something you see almost on a Netflix program, like Narcos or yeah, Power yeah. or something. I was literally just about to say that. To you. How can I say this? And people are like, oh, that's. It sounds like a movie script. I'm like, it might sound like that, but like I'll be honest, like this sort of thing happens throughout the country you know what I mean every town every neighbourhood every council estate will have somebody who's involved in this kind of a lifestyle it's like I'm sure as, as, as you know yourself I mean this kind of thing is widespread throughout this country mm. um, and I got caught up in it you know I'm, I'm 19, 20 sort of throwing my life away and I can earn money really quick like and I'm going to house parties and people know who I am and I've got a reputation and people respect me and I'll be honest man I was still a scared little kid if I'm honest mm. just trying to vent that anger that frustration and finding drugs to mask problems and issues and it made it's just a mess man an absolute mess so but yeah so as you can imagine from there I um, ended up in prison eventually uh, which was absolutely the best place for me exactly where I belonged um, and look, looking back now prison mate was the best thing that ever happened to me wow just to touch on that so I've uh, previously worked in a prison for about six months it was part of my social work um, I was doing a master's at the time and when I worked there it was one of the scariest places i've ever been personally so i i am afraid of the police i am afraid of like silly things but when i was there and you've seen how how little these people have interaction with their kids or with with you know the community or be able to just Mm. do stuff i mean you were they were getting like one hour freedom a day where they're allowed to walk in like the park kind of area they had and i was looking at that and i used to go work there so obviously i'm there from like nine to five and i and I, i was so happy to get back home and i used to always say i used to come home to the missus and i was like because I've, I've had a couple of scraps here and there and sometimes you've hit someone the wrong way and they're falling down and they're not getting up and you kind of panic and you think, shit, yeah, like, this yeah, could go yeah, an absolutely yeah. different way. And I've literally sat back and I think having experienced that from the outside for six months, it was it was eye-opening for me to make sure that mm-hmm. I never, ever used my hands or got into an altercation in the wrong way. So if you wouldn't mind, like just for the listeners here, because I think it'd be quite interesting, a day in the life of, being someone as as sort of a prisoner and how long was you there for as well yeah okay so i was i was quite fortunate um being involved in the life that i was involved in you know i regularly carried firearms um dealt with you know tens of thousands of pounds of cocaine transporting it in my car um i could have been given you know seven ten fifteen you know however many years Mm. but in the end um that abh that i was on i got done for i basically got given a suspended sentence at the end of the spending sentence, messed up again, got given a community order or whatever it was. And basically, like my old sentence was just hanging over my head because I never managed to behave long enough for it to disappear. Mm. And in the end, I got caught with about two or three grams of cocaine, which is basically enough for personal amount. Right. And that basically invoked the suspended sentence. And I was given six months and 14 days. So I was <sighs> let off very, very lightly. <laughs> Mate, very Mate, lightly. What, when you say six months is light, for me, I mean, I'm not lying. I, I don't think I could do a weekend in there. Oh, yeah, I think prison, ultimately, I mean, as long as you're willing to go there and behave yourself, get your head down, you're going to be okay. But the reason you're in there is because that's not something that you do too easily. <laughs> Absolutely, because so, it's against your nature, yeah. isn't it, to kind of abide yeah, by yeah, it. Yeah, that's why you're there, because you don't know how to play the game, you don't know how to behave. And so 
prison in a way, like, I mean, you've got security guards in there and things like that, but I mean, the way prison normally regulates itself is by the, the community that's kind of in there, like the culture that's in there, you know what I mean? You'll have mm. your lads that have been in there for however many years, you'll have your gangs in there, the same as you have your gangs on the street, you're just in a much more confined space. Um, so like I say, if you keep your head down, you're okay. I was just one of them lads that never managed to keep his head down. Mm. <laughs> which is, yeah, so I remember um, I was in Winston Green first, Birmingham prison, which ain't okay. too bad, being a yam-yam, a lad from Starbridge. <laughs> yeah. um, eventually they transferred me to Walton up near Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, which as you can imagine is much further away. They've all got Scouse accents, and mm. here I am with this Birmingham black country accent. Standing so out like a sore thumb. Standing out like a sore thumb. Mm. Add to that, I'm tall, ginger with big ears and that, like I stand out <laughs> enough as it is anyway. Um, and then being a lad that's always trying to prove himself, always trying to, you know, present this person, you know, that I'm okay, I've got it together, I'm, I'm a tough guy, I'm okay. And so, like, I, I ended up finding myself in this prison. And, and in prison, there's a, a currency, which is, like, tobacco. Um, so with tobacco, you'll buy your drugs, you'll buy this, you'll buy that. And it's the only addiction that you're allowed, and so people crave the nicotine, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, you'd, in prison, if you want to borrow some tobacco from, say, like, the loan sharks in there, they'll give you however big the pouch is, one week. The next week, they want double the amount back. Mm. Um, so I've gone into this prison and I thought, you know, I'm going to start borrowing tobacco because I want to smoke. Um, I started borrowing some. I didn't really think about the repayments at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that I was borrowing from was only a scrawny looking lad, so I didn't really feel too much about it. Um, he came up to me one day and said, look, mate, you're going to pay me back for what you owe me. And I, I basically told him, you know, I told him where to go. I said, mm-hmm. you know, drug on me. I'm not paying yet. Uh, which, as you can imagine, was a pretty stupid idea. And I didn't do it because I was a tough guy. You know, I, I'd never, I wouldn't tell anybody I was a big hard man, you know what I mean, a big tough nut. I was just a muppet caught up in this crazy world. Mm. But um, this mm. guy, anyway, he goes down and he says, mate, I'm going to go get my cousin. I thought, yeah, whatever, jog on, mate. And he went to go get his cousin. His cousin was huge, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, okay. I'm on, like, I'm on, like, so in, in the prison, in the wing, it's like, their landings and stuff. Mm. So uh, you imagine on a massive corridor, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I say, like a block of flats and stuff, and you've got a big corridor and you've got the flat doors on the side. Yeah. And there's like a little central bit and then another block on the other side sort of thing. So like kind of what you see on the, on the TV programs. So mm-hmm. I'm on the fifth floor, the fifth landing, the top floor. And I'm just hang, like basically with my hands on the railings, just looking over. Mm. And then this big, huge guy comes around the corner and this little scrawny guy is behind. I thought, mate, that can't be his cousin. This guy wow. was huge. And so like when you're in prison, if guys are going to have a scrap, they're normally going to a pad. Mm. Uh, one of the one of the prison wards, like the cells and that, you'll have it off. Somebody will have a scrap, and two guys will stand outside and keep an eye until the guards come, sort of thing. Mm. And as you can imagine, that's a pretty intimidating prospect when a guy, this guy, was huge. But he came towards me anyway, and sort of like he put himself on the rails as well. Mm. And I don't know if he was trying to prove a point to the rest of the wing because he ended up being the biggest loan shark on the wing. Like, um, he's put his arms over the side, I'm over the side, and he's turned around. And he goes, "You're going to pay me back." And as I turned to talk to him, he just hit me at the side of the head as hard as he could. I've sort of staggered back. I ended up having like a knuckle marks on the side of my head for two, three weeks. But because he's done it on the landing on the wing, the security guards are nearby. And so we went scrapping for less than 30 seconds, 20 seconds, something like that. And security guards jumped on him, pinned him to the floor. I've turned to the side. The scrawny cousins had a go at me then as well. Um, so I ended up having these scraps on the landing. The security guards got involved. And, and through basically the security guards getting involved, I was the last man standing. But um, as you can imagine, again, reputation starts to go through the roof. People are saying, who's this lad think he is and all the rest of that. You know, I'm not paying attention to the system. I'm not playing by the prisoners' rules. Like I said, mate, I was an idiot and I was a muppet and I got myself into all kinds of trouble. But, um, so yeah, these guys ended up, they're getting removed off the prison wing, moved to another part of the prison. Um, tobacco starts to dry up because they're, that's the ones who are supplying tobacco. Um, they put a price on my head so that if anyone gave me a kick in or a beating yeah. or whatever, or, you know, you're in prison with a price on your head, it's most likely you're going to end up stabbed or kicked Absolutely. in or something nasty. Yeah. Um, so this is the position I found myself in all over again. 
making things absolutely the worst I possibly could for myself, really. I just want to say I admire your honesty uh, for, for, for coming up and, and sharing this story. And I think what we need to take away from it is probably the most important bits is that while you were doing all this, and I've seen you, you're a big lad, you, you're a strong lad, but you just mentioned a couple of things there where you said that you were scared and you know you had a mask on and you were you were kind of you you were almost trying to be somebody that maybe maybe you weren't deep down I'm not sure I'm not sure if that's the right words but I just feel like you've you've shown some vulnerability there and I think there's probably a lot of kids and I've I've got I've got a couple of extended family members and stuff or friends who are doing similar things to yourself and it and it's it worries me because I'm always trying to tell them like like whose reputation are you really trying to get and what what is this reputation that you want to be known for and I want to kind of just spin this a little bit because I don't want people just thinking that you're out there just scrapping with the world and going absolutely crazy because there is light at the end of the tunnel with your story, which is oh, why yeah. I find it so fascinating. I know recently um, you've had a massive transformation in your life. And I, I can tell from your intelligence that, one, you realise that you were accountable for everything. You've, you've taken responsibility. You've accepted that yeah. it was your fault. So if you wouldn't mind, just just for the listeners as well, just kind of, how your life started to transform or what measures you took? Yeah, okay. So um, I think from what you've heard from my story already, there's a couple of times I've tried to sort myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, boxing was one, um, which in the end became something incredible. At the time, I think too young and too stupid to take the opportunity given to me. Mm-hmm. The second one was the Royal Marines. Uh, I tried to sort myself out through the Royal Marines. Many times I tried, and I knew my life was a mess. I knew I needed help. I knew I needed a way out. Mm-hmm. But I think with the anger and the frustration and not being able to let things go, I was trapped, you know, I was, I was trapped, you know, I think I was in prison within my own mind long before everything was in prison itself. Mm. And so I, I think personally, I was at a point of not being able to help myself at all. It's funny because like this, this part of the story, like I, I love this part of the story, but it's not always a part of the story that people can always truly grasp. Mm. So I'm in this prison, my life's in danger, there's a price on my head, I'm looking over my shoulder constantly waiting to get a kick in. Mm. And um, there's at this point another prisoner who was who was in the cell opposite me, he came to me and he said, mate, I, I think you need God. Mm. Um, I think you need God in your life. And okay. I thought, mate, you are taking the mick. Mm. I almost laughed at the guy. Yeah. You know, my understanding of the Christianity was, you know, Led Flanders in The Simpsons, the guy mm-hmm. who lives next door to Homer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So there's, that was my understanding. Like, I, I had no interest in Christianity, no understanding of God or anything like that. Yeah. And I'm in prison, my life's in danger. I need, you know, a baseball bat or a couple of mates. I don't need mm. God, you know what I mean? That's mm. a crazy idea. But I think something at that point, I don't know, something triggering me, something caught my attention. I don't know what it was. Um, but a couple of days later, I'm walking down um, a, a prison wing in the corridor and there's a sign-up sheet on the wall for chapel. Mm. Um, I see this sign-up sheet on the wall for chapel and, and something about it, it just it just caught my attention. It's something about it, it just drew me towards it. I was like, okay, what's this all about? So I looked at it and I read this sign-up sheet and I thought, it's not for me, you know what I mean? I'm not interested. I don't care what this guy is saying about God. I don't want to know. I'm not, I don't care. And I went to walk away and something inside me, it's the strangest thing about it. It just felt like there's something tugging at me. Mm. Something within was just pulling at me. And I, 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 could, I look back now and I've got words to try and describe what was going on, but it was just a crazy, it was like, it was weird, it was crazy. Something was pulling me towards this sign-up sheet. There's something more about it than what I'd, I'd, I'd read about it. Yeah. In the end, I've, I've sort of gone back and as I'm going back towards it, there's like a sense of excitement growing in me, almost like a sense of adrenaline growing in me. Like, I've tried some crazy drugs in this world, but what was going on at that moment was, it was surreal, it was weird. And so I, I, I thought, you know what, what can I lose? Let's go and check out what this chapel's all about. And so I signed up my name, and basically what the sheet was about is if you sign up your name on a Sunday, a prison guard would come to your cell, they'd release you from prison and take you to chapel. I thought, okay, cool, I'll get myself out of the cell, let's go see what this is all about. 
But I signed my name up, mate, and, and the moment I signed my name up, a sense of peace hit me that I'd never experienced before in all my life. Wow. You know, I was here, I was in prison, I was a broken down scumbag getting exactly what I deserved. Mm. My life was in danger, and if I got me a kicked in, then that's exactly what I deserved. But here I was, feeling peace, feeling as though there's more to life than what I'd currently experienced, yeah. and more than anything, there was a way out. Um, and that was crazy, mate, to try and, for me to look back and, like, sometimes I catch myself saying now, like, like he's telling this story, and it's Absolutely. Surreal, it's crazy. It really is, man. Yeah, I think, I think this is such a fascinating story, because... It's, so, it's literally from one extreme to the complete opposite end of the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's not like you've made a mistake, you've made it the second time, and then you've, you've kind of sorted, sorted yourself out through whatever means it is. You've literally... I mean, I'm, I'm listening to that story initially, and if I didn't know you, and say, for instance, you had only told me half the story, I would be like, okay, there's no hope for this guy. And, yeah. I, and I say that because, like I said, I know people who, are, who have had a similar life, and I've tried my best to help them personally yep. and, I, and I've tried yep. to kind of change their circle of friends their influence try and change their mindset make them read more do more and sometimes I'll be honest I feel helpless but what you've just given me there which you may not have realized is you've given me a sense of hope that actually okay it might not be God but there there yeah, is a yeah. way that we can tap into people say for instance like yourself and I'm, I'm using your words here I'm not calling you this by the way but say for instance somebody who's acting <laughs> like a scumbag for example how we can, <laughs> yeah, how we can yeah, really yeah. sort of transform their lives so, oh, yeah, mate, that is powerful, powerful stuff. So, oh, yeah. so you started, you started in, in prison in terms of, so you were going to this chapel, and then how, how did that kind of accelerate afterwards? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm, in, I'm in prison, I'm going to chapel week in, week out, and I'm trying to study this God person, trying to get my grips with the Bible and stuff like that, and mm. hearing about a God who, who loves me, a God who wants the very best for me, a God of second chances, a God of, of redemption, a God mm. of forgiveness. And these were all the things that I knew that I needed so desperately. Um, so I remember going back to my son and said, um, tried my first ever prayer. And I'm sort of saying, God, you know, if you're out there and you are who these people say, well, look, I need help, man. I really, really need some yeah. help. Um, please help. Anyway, the weeks sort of go by and I'm coming towards uh, a moment whereby like, the opposite gang's there. And I know that these lads are involved with these other guys. And I'm thinking, okay, here comes the kicking I'm waiting for. Mm. And, and, and an alarm would go off or a security guard would just turn around the corner. You know what I mean? And like for a season, almost like, like you would be could protected. Call them mere coincidences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Looking at them on the surface level, it's like it's just a coincidence. You know what I mean? Mm. But like, it felt like I was protected, mate. Mm. I felt renewed. There was like hope was there. Like I had hope. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd never experienced it before. Like, like, like tomorrow's gonna be okay. You know, it's gonna be all right. You know what I mean? Like, no matter how dark and how broken, how messed up my situation was, you know what? There is a way out, and 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 things can change. And it was beautiful, mate. Just having that hope, just it stirs you on, like. I love that. I, I love that message. And that's kind of a message I always try and preach myself. And it's actually something that Kev... Yeah, he's a good guy, Kev. He's a good guy. Uh, oh, mate, he's fantastic. And he talks about belief and whether you believe in God or whether you, you believe in anything. Like He always says, worst case, just believe in yourself because we all need that. Otherwise, we're lost. And I suppose you, you were. I think it's fair to say you were lost for so long. And oh, yeah, massively. You, you found your calling. And I think that's fantastic, mate. It's One, it's nice to hear that your life had turned around from that. Yes, I imagine that your opinion of yourself changed. So rather than yeah. seeing yourself oh, as yeah. this scumbag, for example, we'll keep just using that word. Yeah. How did you start seeing yourself? How would you explain yourself? Yeah, okay. Um, I'd love to say that instantly, bam, I changed completely. Mm. Yes, there was this renewed sense of hope. There was this sense of purpose and of destiny that my life had value and meaning. You know mm. what I mean? It wasn't just some random mess that was doomed to, to, to fall apart. Mm -hmm. 
But like, you know, you come out of, uh, out of prison and stuff like that. And yes, I've got this Bible in my hands now and I'm trying to learn to pray. Mm. But then I'm back in my old neighborhood. I've got a tag on my ankle and my old gang mates are around me. My old influences are there. My old reputation goes before me. My old, oh, you know what I mean? All this yeah. temptations around me. Like, and I remember the first night I came out of prison, you know, I've got this Bible in my hand and I'm going back home. And my mate comes around and I'm sniffing coke with him. And I'm wondering why I can't sleep at night. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. what the hell am I doing to myself? And I think the, like, a 10-month period began of just completely wrestling between the identity that I used to have and this new identity that I, I, I'd experienced and wanted so much more of. Mm-hmm. And so there's this season of, like, you know, I'd go out on the weekend and I'd get into a fight. Um, I got my jaw broken between after I come out of prison before I started boxing and stuff like that into a fight. Go out and take drugs, then come home and read my Bible and pray and believe in this God that was going to save me and set me free. And it was just a weird season of things happening. Um, but in this period, again, like I spoke about coincidences in the prison. I believe coincidences began to start taking place outside of prison as well. So the gang that I was involved in, um, like I said, I was on tag, so I had to be in by seven o'clock at night. Eight o'clock at night, they was caught in a drugs bust. Right. Uh, 1.4 million pounds drug bust. Wow. And they were caught with... Like large amounts of cocaine, large amounts of cash, shotguns, like, like literally a big bust. It was across the news and everywhere. Mm-hmm. So they were removed from the streets. Um, I found out my best friend was sleeping with my then girlfriend whilst I was in prison. So they were removed from my life. And through another series of complete coincidences, I was left isolated and all alone um, with nothing more than, than, than the Bible and trying to learn to pray. And I believe God removed the baggage from my life and the brokenness from my life to, to really be able to work on myself. And so... For me, when when you read some of the things in the Bible, the Bible, some of the stuff the Bible says about yeah, it's it's beautiful, like mm. it's beautiful. It, like it says, like every hair that's on your head is numbered. God knows you that well and that intimately, and you are of that importance and that value mm. that your hairs are numbered. Mm. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that is beautiful. And so you start to read this stuff, and it starts to to speak value into your life. I think one of the most powerful things that that can happen with like, things like depression, you'll have these thoughts that go over and over and over in your head, and they completely compound the idea so if you think that you're nothing and you're worthless and you're thinking that constantly every single day you're going to think you're worthless and nothing on you it's going to spiral whereas if someone starts to speak words that are positive words that are encouraging i think words and the words that we believe and the things that we believe about ourselves are so powerful you've took the words right out of my mouth um, and i was going to say this <laughs> literally i was going to say this later on because how you speak to yourself will determine your life and your story and your level of happiness yeah. massively in terms of so even myself i've gone through like anxiety and all that sort of stuff in my life and in terms of like my business for example if you just use that as an example it's gone much better in the last six months than it was previously but because my state of mind and my self-worth and love and everything was always at its best I suppose I've always managed to be happy in the moment and happy in the now so irrespective of whether I have more zeros in the end of my bank account at the end of the day or I have a fancier car outside on my driveway my level of happiness doesn't really change because it's an inside job and I think pe- people are always trying to yeah, look for external good. things, materialistic things, whereby they're trying to get some sort of validation from the public or external factors. But what you really need to do is look within yourselves and until you can start loving yourself and start looking after yourself. So how you look after yourself in the gym or with your diet, you need to look after yourself with your thoughts and yeah, your mind yeah. massively. I appreciate you saying that, mate, because um, you, you did take the words out of my mouth. I was saving that for later yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> 
it's, it's important because like, we, we live in a world now which is so media driven. Mm. Um, Facebook, we've got everything at our fingertips. Mm. But the message that the world is, is saying to us is you're not good enough unless you have this. Mm. Because the people mm. that are doing these adverts have something to sell. They've got a product to get rid Absolutely. of. So if they can convince you that you're not good enough without their product, that's what they're going to do. Mm. And if we're seeing these messages day in and day out, no wonder that half the world thinks we're no good, we're nothing, we're, we're, we're worthless because that's what the world's telling us. That's so powerful. It's horrible, mate. You know what I mean? It, is. It, it makes people feel inferior. And I think one of the yeah, things yeah, that yeah. I've always tried to do, so I used to do personal training um, previously, a long time ago. And I see a lot of personal trainers, or well, they're not even personal trainers, there's people on Instagram who have got six packs, for example. And what they'll do is they'll, mm. they'll sell this kind of course or they'll just keep constantly showing photos of their abs. And then I was getting a lot of people coming with insecurities because what happens is you go on Instagram and everyone's living their best life everyone's got a car everyone's gone on a holiday yeah, 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 a yeah. month they're reading to orphans in the middle of the night and they're doing all this crazy stuff and I'm thinking this ain't the truth another reason for this podcast is to, to give people the, the the cold heart truth that you're going to have shit days you know you're going you're gonna to have oh, good yeah. days but it's about trying to work on your mindset trying to understand look, yeah. people out there like, like yourselves who are going yeah. through this as well but they're, they're coming out on the other side basically and they're coming out with it whether it's their connection to god or whether it's their daily habits or the way they torture right. themselves it's good so yeah so like i think I, I was saying about the in the environment we're in and the words that we're, we're feeding ourselves and the things we're listening to for mm-hmm. me i found that in the bible i found that in my relationship with god Fantastic. i found that in, in in how he was guiding me and leading me but then at the same time then another powerful part was was, was the boxing club mm. so i knew i needed a good community around me. I needed friends. I needed help, you know. And for me, as much as I'd experienced God and, and, and his power in prison, as much as I was now reading the Bible and praying, the idea of going to church was was foreign, you know what I mean? Mm. But I remembered from when I was a kid that I had a place where I was welcomed. I had a place where I was loved. I had a place where I was accepted, and that was my boxing club. Absolutely. And so I remember rather sheepishly driving back to my boxing club, knowing that I'd left there because I got caught up in drugs and stuff mm. like that, knowing that I'd probably let them all down and wondering how they'd treat me when I come back. I remember pulling up in the in the car park and uh, and then sort of Kev came out through the doors like and I was wondering does he even recognise me mm. and uh, Kev says he says he goes hey Ash how you doing mate <laughs> and I, I was like oh man he knows that and he come over and just give me this massive hug mate he goes mate I love you mate he was like oh, yeah. man, you've had some, you've had a tough tough few years like and he said come in man come in and like we went in and like he let one of the other coaches carry on with the class and stuff we went up and sat in the classrooms upstairs and he just chatted to me like mm. he just heard my story he heard how mm. my life had turned into you know, complete chaos and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And he just accepted me like, and, you know, he's not a Christian himself, mate, but the values that he portrays, they're, they're godly, mate. They're beautiful. You know what I mean? The guy's incredible. Mate, he was my first episode. And the reason he was my first episode is because yeah. the world needs more of Kev Dillon. And I don't think, yeah, do. because his nature and his job and stuff, he's not aware of the whole selling himself or marketing himself. And I'm kind of, yes. I want to be his advocate because I just feel if people spend yes. time with him, mate, I mentioned it on the podcast, the best two years of my life was when Kev was training me on a one-to-one basis. I loved it. Yeah, I loved spending, yeah. spending time with him. I'm similar to Kev. I'm not a religious person, but we share the same values and ethics. And I feel that whatever you find your power through or your level of hope through, hold that tight yeah, and brilliant. never let go because that's going to that's gonna get you through this world. Because, And just his way of thinking, I mean, he could sit there and feel sorry for himself all the time or he could judge you there. And I think it takes a big man like yourself to come out and think, okay, I've let these people down many times before can I step back in the ring yeah. so fair play for dropping your ego there because I think that's another thing yeah, you have. we have you. a big sense of ego growing up yeah. and if you can if you can get rid of the ego within yourself I just think you live a much yeah. more fulfilling life 
No, yeah, so a lot easier, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot easier to admit, you know what, I, I, I've been a mess. Sometimes I'm still a mess and mm. I still make mistakes, but life's mm. good, man. That's life's good. Life's beautiful. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, mate. It's, it's a blessing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, massively, massively. So, so yeah, so I'm back, I'm, I'm back in this boxing club and I'm still occasionally taking drugs. I'm still being a muppet, still reading this Bible and praying and still had these crazy experiences. Mate, it was, cra- it was just it's still mm. a crazy time. But I start going to boxing and boxing becomes a place of stability, becomes a place of discipline. Um, a place where I'm accepted and then I'm even given like, the, the privilege of being able to coach as well and I'm like mm. somebody's putting value into my life he sees wow. something in me and he's calling it out from me as with God and my relationship with God the same thing's happening mm. um, I ended up then going back to church uh, I started going to a church I'll be honest the only reason I went to this church was because a girl invited me and I fancied her okay um, <laughs> so you know <laughs> I followed a girl to church I'm going to be honest like the Bible yeah. says God works in mysterious ways and that was one of the ways that he worked and so I found myself in church again surrounded by another community of people that just loved me and accepted me for who I am mm-hmm. um, and then I, I heard the gospel message um, mm-hmm. which is the central message of Christianity that God loves you no matter what you've done mm-hmm. um, he wants to forgive you for no matter how much brokenness and how much um, pain you've brought into this world and wants to give you a second chance mm. and so I sort of accepted that message and mm. I believe through the boxing and the community I had there through the value that Kev was giving me mm. through the Bible through my experience of God something in me just boom it changed and I had a new sense of who I was as a person mm. and for me I was still like I said still taking drugs I never had any drugs counselling no referral workers um, no um, drug dependency no, no help or medication just after going to church that week and just saying this is what I'm going to live for the next week the drugs just went wow. there's no addiction there's no need for it there's like the void that was being filled with the drugs or the void that was being filled with what I'd say was darkness was just filled with light and it. just hope and it was just boom I'm free um, I love so, that yeah, and you, and you made just, just <laughs> I just want to touch on that sorry just before you carry on you what you did there you made a decision when you make a decision like you just made there with conviction in the church saying listen you know what this is me now. This is my new identity. This is the new Ashley Nixon. I am no yeah, longer yeah, that yeah. person. And you've kind of ridden yourself of, of that past. It's just powerful, mate. And I just want to elaborate on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there's a, there's a beautiful passage in the Bible. It says, um, like, like, you must be born again. Mm. So that you, like, like, you must have your whole life completely renewed um, mm. to be set free from stuff. So for me, I'd always wanted to be free of the drugs. And I always knew it was wrong. But there was like something that just held me in it. Like, mm. I don't know if I just, like you said, didn't have the conviction, didn't have mm. the belief didn't have the sense of strength to get myself out. But at that moment, standing in that church, hearing that message, I thought, man, I believe this is real, this is wow. true. Wow. It was almost as if, bam, I was born again, you know what I mean? Like, like, I like, feel like you are, mate. Something just changed, like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's good. So, <laughs> no, I, I love it. It's, um, it's a massive change from, obviously, where you first were. If we just touch on that now, so you're born again. It's your daylight now, then? Because I, I'm, I'm yeah, hoping, really. and I've got my hands crossed here, that you're not on the streets at any stage <laughs> selling anything, doing anything <laughs> no. dodgy, mate. So what's your kind of like daily routine that you're doing now? Yeah, okay. So um, that was five and a half, six years ago um, that, that happened, made that decision. Since then, um, I've become, I was the, the Midlands like, middleweight champion in boxing. Um, not only novice, it wasn't, wasn't like, like, you know what I mean, but it was, it was the Midlands, you know what I mean? So mm. um, I think I, after I, I committed myself to God, the drugs disappeared. I won the next seven fights, became Midlands like middleweight champion. Mate, don't say uh, only, only. Like, you're, you're kind of downplaying, <laughs> your, you're downplaying your achievements. Listen, my biggest uh, claim to fame was um, Kev was going to select me for novice nationals and I'd only had one fight previous to that. And I yeah. took an injury outside, which is a story for another day. But, uh, mate, I was so proud of that because I know how hard it is 
to yeah, to yeah, train, yeah. mate. So fantastic, mate. Well done for that. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So yeah. So I I done the boxing, done that, and then I was coaching the club, and you know, it's just going from strength to strength, and then uh, I've. I, I went to my church and I was doing like an internship at the same time. So trying to get my head into what the hell is this crazy Christian world all about? Mm. What is the truth of it as opposed to the, the, the Christianity that's portrayed in the media? So mm. what's the real story behind it all? Um, then um, my, my church said, look, um, we want to fund you and pay for you to go to Bible college, mm-hmm. um, which is basically university. So I went to university. Um, uh, I got a degree in applied theology and church leadership. Fantastic. Uh, finished with, finish with first class honours as well. Oh, congratulations, mate. Somebody who was an ex drug addict and been in prison. Like, it's go. quite, yeah, massive, mate, massive turnaround. I love that. From there, then, um, the, the movement that I'm part of, like, it's called the Elim Pentecostal Church. Mm-hmm. So they've got about 600 churches in Britain and then about 3,000 around the world as well. Um, they want to, they've recognised that my life's changed. They've recognised that there's something of God in me and something's going on in my life. And so they've put me now onto a training program, which is for the next three years, become a, a, an ordained reverend, a minister. So I'm currently training to become a minister in church, mate, believe it or not. <laughs> mate, you're giving me goosebumps. I can't actually see you right now. <laughs> I promise you the hairs have like raised on my arm. From drugs to a degree to now yeah. you're, going to be, you're going to be spreading the message of what you believe and what's going to help yeah, ho- hopefully thousands oh, yeah. of people in the future, oh, mate. Yeah. Kudos to you. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then, and then another, another bonus, like the, the, the icing on top of the cake, I met a gorgeous woman about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she said yes, and I'm now married yes. as well. Um, <laughs> I love it. Right? I love Crazy, it. it? Yeah, I love life's that. just radically changed, you know? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, like, um, that girlfriend who, who I found out was my best friend was actually the mom of my child. Mm. And so I missed my little boy's first birthday and first Christmas because I was in prison. Mm. And I'm never going to miss another one of his birthdays ever again. Absolutely, mate. You know what I mean? I shower that little boy on as much love as I possibly oh, I'm the best dad in the world, but I tried to be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've got a chance mm-hmm. now to really bless my little boy and be there for him you know what I mean life's radically changed me like, I, I, can't, I, love like I, I love the privilege that I have to share this story with you because every time I share it I'm just like man that's actually mate happened. I'm so grateful as well myself to be able to sit here and speak speak with you as well yeah. I, honestly this is this is fantastic and this is this is what it's all about spreading this kind of message as well your son's very lucky because sometimes I feel in a way you have an advantage over other people because you've been you've been in the dark side mate you've been rock bottom and oh, you've yeah. seen it and you're not you're not reading a book about somebody who's been been on the dark side and then trying to fabricate a story. You, you've lived it. Do you know what I mean? And you yeah, come out on the other yeah, side, yeah. and it gives people hope. And I, and like like we touched on earlier, hope is like one of the most important things in the world. Because if you've got nothing to hope for or nothing to wish for, then we, life kind of becomes meaningless. Yeah. Oh yeah. Powerful, mate. I'm really happy for you. You give me goosebumps, mate. It's the first time we've really spoken. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to obviously keeping this friendship going uh, in the future as well. Bless you. Thank you. And uh, oh, whenever yeah, you're down at the gym as well, I'll, I'll try and stuff my boxing gloves as well and <laughs> yeah okay sounds great love it i love it okay so i'm gonna just switch it a little bit now um and i was gonna ask about adversity but i think pretty much hit like so many mm-hmm. aspects of your life in terms of adversity but if i just put you on the spot a little bit here now for the listeners he hasn't had a chance to kind of prepare himself for this so uh, let's be <laughs> kind to him but I'm, sh- I'm sure you'll have you'll have the right answer mate in terms of adversity, so now you've been born again and things are going well for you. You've got hmm. a new missus, you're with your son now, you're spending time with him. Things are going well for you. You've got your degree and everything. If yeah, Let's yeah. just say now, in the last couple of months or the last year, could you think of a time where you've had adversity again, but knowing mm. what you know now and obviously finding the light, how do you handle it now? Because I think it's really important for people to realise that life can still try and throw you a curveball and then it's how you react to it. Yeah, okay. Um... Yeah, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable on this one, I think, then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Please do. So, 
Just give you a bit of a backstory. So obviously, I'm, I'm married now. Um, uh, my wife is an incredible woman, and mm. I love her to bits. Absolutely love, love, love her to it. bits. She's just like unique. I, sometimes I think as well, God, it, there must be a God because I've ended up with a woman like that. You know what I mean? So she's great, mate. Bless she's you. incredible. But obviously, like me and my wife both came from broken backgrounds. She's also got quite a story of hope and transformation as well. Mm. Um, but obviously, you come from a broken background, and, and that baggage doesn't just go away. You know what I mean? Mm. That, the old mindsets, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Yes, I believe in Christian principles and morals, but still, I'm on, I'm on a, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? Life's a journey, and you don't mm. just, boom, change just like that. It, it's a... It's a it's a change that happens over time. And so the Christian way, obviously, we, we don't obviously try not to have sex before marriage. Mm. And that's obviously one of the big Christian teachings and stuff like that is mm-hmm. that, that sex is, is, is a sacred thing saved mm-hmm. for marriage, um, which for me was very foreign to the way I used to think. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously me and my wife struggled with that a little bit anyway, but we decided that we was going to wait until we was married. Mm-hmm. Um, and we believe highly in the sanctity of marriage, that marriage is an incredible thing that it Absolutely. shouldn't be entered into lightly. Mm. Um, that as opposed to our culture, our, our culture today is that um, if something's not working for you, I just throw it away and start mm. again. Mm. Um, we're in a consumeristic culture. So once you've used something, you just throw it away. If something's not working properly anymore, you get rid of it and get a new one. And I think sometimes that kind of mentality, especially in the 21st century, carries forward into our relationships. And so we're not always, I don't think, eager to work on a relationship. If it starts to go wrong, we just think, let's chop her out, let's get a new model sort of thing and so for a christian to not have the whole sex before marriage and then to get married and to believe mm. that we're married in the eyes of god that we've been brought together because you know god wants the very best for us um you have a very high expectation on marriage um, and a high view of marriage but um as you can imagine two people that don't live together and then they start to live together it causes friction doesn't it yeah, any, any yes. two people coming together any two people with two different lifestyles and different ways of living coming together Absolutely. there's always gonna be friction um and so I don't know if we had an idealistic view of what life would be like, but I think for me and my wife, in the first years of our marriage, I suppose, we, we struggled a little bit mm. just with the whole being different people, coming from broken backgrounds, different expectations and stuff like that. But the beautiful thing of having such a high view on the marriage was that rather than me thinking, I'm going to chop it out and get a new one, it was like, I'm going to dig in. I've been through brokenness before. I've been through darkness before. I've seen how bad life can get. It ain't going to get that bad again, and I'm going to press through. Mm. And so you sort of look at the victories from the past and you sort of rely on them for victories in the future. Absolutely. And so me and my wife worked out our differences and stuff like that, and we're stronger now and more in love now than we'd ever be if we hadn't have gone through what we went through. And I'll be honest, mate, like sometimes you come and think, man, I can't believe I'm going on to that woman. She does my nothing. <laughs> and, and I'm sure if she was in this room, she'd say exactly the same thing about me. Yeah. But I love her to bits, mate. And I think without going through what we went through, we wouldn't have what we have now. Mm. Um, mm. So I suppose, yeah. I love that, mate. Yeah, I think it's it, yeah, it's, re- it's remembering past victories to believe that there'll be present victories. Written victories of the past as a sort of note because I want to elaborate on that mm. in a second. But just before that, you were making me smile while you were saying that and I was kind of... So I put my vulnerability here. I'm a very emotional person. So I kind of get emotional when I hear stuff like that because the way I view <laughs> my wife and my marriage is the same as you. It's it's a yes. very, very important thing. For me, I was a bit of a jack the lad back at uni and... I always yeah, made, a, yeah, yeah. made a promise that the moment I get married, I will do everything in my power to be the best mm. man that I can be. And yeah. I, I so often see people who maybe stray or just do just do things that I don't necessarily agree with. So for me, man to man, hearing somebody who has that sense of love and the way you look at your wife, mate, I hold my hat off to you because it's, <sighs> it's important because behind every good man there's a good woman and I'm doing the stuff that I'm fortunate to do now. I mean, as we speak now and we record this, my wife's at work, bless her. And my aim is to get yeah. her out of work very soon. But 
if I couldn't have done a lot of the stuff I've done in my life if it wasn't for my wife and uh, I'm very it's... grateful so I, I love just hearing your transformation because although you were doing all those things in the past this person this genuinely amazing person was always in there and I'm just glad that you managed to find it just to touch on the victories of the past so why I found that so powerful was because there's a guy called David Goggins I'm not sure if you follow him but he's somebody who I follow quite quite a lot religiously basically but he mentioned something called a cookie jar and what he does is all of his he calls it like a jar of fuck what he does is every time he's been through shit in his life he puts it into this imaginary jar of fuck right and he calls it like the cookie jar and then what happens is when he's faced with adversity in life he thinks back to that jar and he's like hold on a minute i'm that same guy who's been through all of this and i can get through what i'm going through now and i think you've you've done it in your own way you said the victories of the past will help you secure victories of the future which I think is just as powerful yeah, oh lesson. Yeah. So, oh yeah. mate, it's fantastic that, I mean, you don't even know who that guy is and yet you're preaching the same stuff as this guy who's <laughs> impacted millions, which is why I say everyone's story matters because your story matters and it's going to it's gonna inspire loads of people. So that's fantastic, mate. I wish you and your wife all the best. It'd be, it'd be great to get her on the show as well if she's ever interested. Yeah, I'm sure she would be. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'll, I'll put it to her anyway, let her know, see what she says. And I'll definitely, mate, yeah, she's got a great story. I love it, mate. I'm just going to switch gears again. I'm just conscious, obviously, of the running time as well. So where you are currently now in your life, and I know you from like a physical aspect in terms of like your boxing and stuff and being on the streets, you're not really afraid of much. Or at least it doesn't seem like you're afraid of much. <laughs> <laughs> but let me ask you the question. Right in this moment right now, what is your biggest fear? Mm, okay. Um, I suppose admitting to a fear is also a vulnerable thing because obviously mm. being now a man of faith, um, a man who believes in God, we put a high value on, on faith and mm. trust and, and okay. belief. And I suppose the, anticip- the the opposite of that would be fear in it. Mm. So the opposite of faith is fear. And so a fear for me would be that I've been given this incredibly beautiful life and I make an absolute mess of it. Mm. That yeah. I don't use every single day to do all that I can to give back mm. to the God and, and, and to the communities that have built so much into me. So my fear would be that I make, just make a mess of things, you know? I love that. It's a, it's a great message and I'm, I'm confident... Knowing where you are now, I wouldn't have been confident six years ago, but I'm confident, confident <laughs> now that you'll do that, mate. And um, yeah. you've got yeah. a good community around you. You've got mutual friends. And after this, you know, I, I consider you a friend. And if you ever need any help from Thank me, you. by all Thank means, you. please do reach out. I'm more than happy to sort of show my hand. So on, on the basis of that, and obviously now you found your calling and you just touched that you want to make an impact or just do the best you can basically would you say that's your main motivation or inspiration that kind of keeps you keeps you going every morning or is there anything else other than your wife yeah yeah I, there's a couple of things i suppose i suppose having a fear is is something that can either drag you down or it can propel you forward yeah and so like i said the opposite of fear is faith and it's believing the opposite to the lies that we so often tell ourselves and for me a great source of, of hope for the future and a drive is, is reading the Bible, the word of God. And there's some things in there, mate, you read and you think, my days, that's mm. been in there for 2000 years. And, I, and, and like, like, so there's a passage that says, um, all things work together for good, for the good of those who love God. And that's like, everyone's like, I've seen people with tattoos of it, it says everything happens for a reason. Mm. And it's something that was written in the Bible 2000 years ago. Some of the stuff that's written in there about, you know, it's just like be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think on things that are above, think on things that are, are holy and good and, and pure and just training your mind to think positively, to think oh. the best of a negative situation. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Um, and so, yeah, so for me, like like in the morning, just having, like, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour even, just, just reading that crazy book that inspires 
you know, billions of people the world around me, that's a real motivator for me. And then there's those moments where you see somebody else, they get it, and the light comes on. Absolutely. And, and their lives are changed. I mean, you can, I, I now work for um, a Christian company. We work for, with kids that come out of the care system. Mm-hmm. So they're care leavers. Some of these kids, okay. I mean, you, you think my life's bad. These kids, my day, some of like child sexual exploitation backgrounds, um, severe drug abuses from young age, uh, all kinds of just domestic abuse and violence and stuff like that. Kids that have been rejected by mm. their families and their parents, let alone society. And they come through the system and it's basically teaching them at the one end, to tidy your bedroom and to cook and clean and at the other end to function in society and to see them just take little steps it's beautiful and to be involved in that kind of a process it, it's it's beautiful to do that sort of thing it's great it's good i love I suppose, it yeah the motivator ultimately it's living not for yourself but for others mm. there's a great power in dying to yourself and when you no, no longer need to let society think that you're you're written you've got it and you don't need to prove yourself mm. to society mm. anymore and you accept yourself then you can live for others. And that's beautiful, mate. Wow. It's a privilege. It is. Mate, goosebumps. <laughs> You're giving me goosebumps, <laughs> mate, honestly. I'm going to be cheeky saying maybe that's the presence of God. Mate. Oh, <laughs> mate, maybe, maybe, absolutely. And, and you know what? I don't discount anything, but I just want, yeah, so yeah. what really hit me there was, um, you might not know this, but uh, I've got um, siblings who have been in the foster care. So oh, wow. three of my siblings are white, Josh, Kyle and Kelsey. And they came through the foster care system, but then we went through guardianship. So they're basically part of the family. And my oh, younger brilliant. sister, Elia, is adopted as well. So that was one of the reasons where, why I personally went into social work, because I wanted to be the best damn social worker in the world and change the world. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the life we have, mate, is a million times better than the life these kids have had in care. Yeah, oh, yeah. And oh, for, yeah. You, for you to be doing such a great thing now, I, I'm, I'm just... I'm so grateful that one, you found light however you found it, but two, you're also giving back because you're going to be a massive positive influence on these. Thank you. But I, I love it, mate. We've got, we've got more in common than I thought other than boxing. <laughs> <laughs> it, sound, mate, it sounds like, like so you're doing social work now, so I'm, I'm a support worker. It's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I went into social work, to cut a long story short, because I was working as a project manager in London and I was earning more money than I knew what to do with. But there comes a time where you need something more than money to get you out of bed in the morning. And uh, it was always, I just want to help people. And then I seen my siblings go through so much shit that I was like, I'm going to change the world. But then when I got into social work, the one thing that let me down was there's so much bureaucracy that you can't really change it that much. So what I've done is thought, okay, let me use my presence and my, my brand and my marketing and influencers and let's try and change the world holistically so reaching out to people like mm-hmm. you who've got a community reaching out to community centers and i'm trying to make an impact where nobody's saying to me oh you've got to go do some paperwork nine to five i'm i'm doing this on my own accord yeah. and i want to kind of change yeah. the world as cliche as that sounds my own way but i can't do it by myself which is why i need people like yourselves and others to share their yeah, stories yeah. and we all really get together so i love it mate and just on that note, the buzzer has gone off. So this is the part of the show where um, we get interrupted a little mm-hmm. bit. We change the script, we change the pattern, and we're okay. just going to go into a quick fire 60 seconds Q&A. If you're ready. Yeah, sounds good. In three, two, one. Okay, buddy. The ability to fly or be invisible? Oh, invisible, definitely. Money or fame? Uh, fa- oh, fame. Money, money. money. <laughs> Netflix or YouTube? Uh, YouTube. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Would you rather know how you will die or when you will die? Ooh, when? Love or money? Love. Summer or winter? Summer. Your favourite place in the whole wide world? Oh man, right here and right now. Love it. This is where I am at the minute. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> Would you rather speak all of the languages in the world or be able to speak to animals? All the languages in the world. 
If you could abolish one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh, darkness. Your favourite song ever. Oh man. Christmas, there's a Christian song called How, How, Great, How, How Great Is Our God. And that for me, it spoke volumes at a dark point in my life. Read minds or predict the future? Mm, predict the future. Okay, okay, the time is up, so... So you went with money, didn't you, in, at the end, rather than fame? The money or fame? I think I went for money in the end, because yeah. you don't... Yeah, with money, you can do so much for other people. I love that, um, I love it. And, and I think sometimes fame can get in the way, can't it? Because nice. it's, it's something that drives pride and arrogance for me, personally. I know it's something that I have to check on a lot, mm, um, mm. so... Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I love it, mate. I love it. Okay, so we're going to go back into the interview style of the uh, questions again now. Like I said, you keep taking the words out of my mouth at the minute. <laughs> so in relation to reflection, I always say hindsight's a wonderful thing. And uh, yep. upon reflecting, we can always think of ways where we can do things quicker or get yes. to a certain place earlier or easier. But I always say the journey teaches us a lot as well. And yeah. it's something that I feel everything happens for a reason, which is kind of what you touched upon. So if you could go back to, say, one moment in your life where uh, maybe you were struggling or you really found a turning point and you could fast track all your progress, knowing exactly what you know now, what would that time be and what would you actually say? OK, um, I think this is real difficult, this one. Mm. I think because, as you said, you've put a lot of emphasis on the journey already. Mm. And I think it's the journey that makes you who you are. Um, and so wow. for me, I think I had to go to prison. Mm. I wouldn't want to not have gone to prison because I think that that was such a crucial, integral part of my journey mm. to experience what I experienced. I wouldn't want to stop myself from going there so I don't think I would be who I am today. Mm. But I think it's just something, something simple. Like, I mean, we always look inwards so often mm. and, and, and when we look inwards, we're not happy, we're upset and it's dark and it's broken. Then we look out, but everything outside looks so much better. Mm. I think just looking up, just the words look up. I love that. For me personally, obviously being a man of faith, I'd say just look up. Mm. But the journey, like you said, it's crucial, isn't it? It's so it's hard. It is, mate. It, it molds you into the person that you are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I suppose. I suppose it's more for the fact that the reason I always ask this question is because I wouldn't change your journey. Mm. I wish you you suffered less pain in your life personally, but at the same time, mm. I'm grateful that you've been through your journey and you've come out the other side because, mate, you're going to do amazing things in the world, and I, and I truly yeah, believe sure. that. But I just feel that if, say, for instance, there was another a carbon copy of yourself, but we could just take away a little bit of their pain, maybe and a little bit of their hardship if there was something that we could necessarily say. But um, I'll, take your, I'll take your answer on board. I think it's a fantastic answer. So thank you. Thank you. So there's only really one more question that I always like to ask my guests for the listeners. And that is basically, if say for instance, in 150 years time, we are no longer about, and there wow. is a book on the table and this book is about you. So what would that book be called? And what would the blurb at the back of it Tell us about Ashley Nixon. That's tough, mate. Uh, what would the book be called? Let's go for the blurb first. Let's go yeah, let's blurb. go for the blurb because I've thrown that in myself <laughs> as a curveball. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> okay, so I think the blurb would be um, from darkness to light. No matter how dark it's been, this journey of darkness will turn to light. I don't know. It's hard to think of a blurb in it because blurbs is probably like trying to capture all of what we've said in Absolutely. a short par paragraph. It's, mm. I think no matter how dark and how broken things can get, there is always a way out. Mm. And this story will show you the way out or will help you to be inspired towards the way out. I love it. Something along them lines. I don't know. I'll have to play with something like that for a little while. I Mate, think. I love it. <laughs> I love that. And just thinking out loud, what I would call it, just on this, I would call it Look Up. Look Up. Brilliant. Okay, I like that. So, yeah. yeah let me, let, let's get that made, <laughs> <Yeah>. mate. <laughs> Do it, mate. <laughs> and that's coming from somebody who doesn't necessarily follow God, but I just think the lessons that you just taught me today 
the lesson that I live by anyway. So it's kind of you're saying stuff yeah. that I'm like, hold on a minute, is that in the Bible? Really? Yeah, that's in the book, man. And that's and that's <laughs> fascinating for me. Like I'm always eager to learn more and try and become a better person. So I appreciate you for that. I just want to end this now because um I think it's important, mate, and I know you're not always on social media selling your story. I always try and get people to sell their stories rather than having to see people who are selling courses and doing all that shit on um social media i think it's more important people sell themselves and they sell their true story and what they can offer to the world and i think you've got something to offer so if there's one place that people can connect with you what would be the best way that people can reach out to you i suppose facebook is the one for me like i wasn't always on social media i wasn't always into that sort of thing but i, I recognize the power of it because mm. it is a place where people connect so powerfully so mm. you know what i mean and, and people share so much of themselves on there and so I've, I've got a Facebook account. I'm not an avid poster or anything mm. like that, but I am on there. And uh, there is a bit more of my story on there for people to recap over if they want to as well. Fantastic. So, yeah, I suppose Facebook, definitely. And I don't mind people sending friend requests if they want. Okay, fantastic. So for anyone listening, please do reach out. It's Ashley Nixon on Facebook. I'll put all the links and everything in the show notes so you can literally download it. What I would just say, and again, I'm not trying to add work or anything. It's just the kind of thought off the top of my head is, you could potentially, and maybe this is something in the future, mate, is maybe start a community. It could be called Look Up. It could be called whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, and I, I yeah. think if you can get people who maybe Christians, maybe believers or people that have seen such a dark place, because I'll tell you something, there's there's a hell of a lot more people than just yourself who have come through this transformation or, or need this transformation. Oh. I feel that, like you said, Facebook's very powerful. Maybe think somewhere you, you yeah, can create a, a nice safe haven for people where they feel safe. And I just think, You've got a great yeah, message, beautiful. mate. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And yourself, thank you. Honestly, it's been brilliant. I'd love to get you back on the podcast again. Uh, maybe with your missus or your missus on a separate one because I've, I feel like everyone's got a story. And I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, this podcast is absolutely free. So all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on iTunes. Have an awesome day.